Hello, this is Beyond Talks, which is a podcast that provides insights from real estate professionals, thought leaders and deal makers in the sector. For our 13th episode, we have the entrepreneurial Susanna Cole of The Good Property Company. Susanna has been able to source over £45 million worth of property since her inception. This afternoon, we'll be discussing her introduction to property investing, her belief on the importance of investing in systems in property, and also her view of the potential opportunities in the new world that we live in today. I'm Johnny Engeli, and I would love to introduce Susanna Cole. Again, good uh, good afternoon to yourself there, Susanna. Thank you. It's for, nice to be uh, here. For, We've had a uh, nice nice getting to know each other chat, haven't we? So uh, we have we have most definitely indeed. <laughs> um, a lot of the things uh, we'll, that we've been saying off air, we'll obviously you know bring some of them on air. But it, it, it's definitely yeah, been a, a, a pleasure uh, connecting and and touching with there. And uh, um, just just to let you know, we've um, had the. Uh, well, I'll say well, I've had the opportunity to uh, speak to you know quite a lot of people in uh, in the property space from you know traditional agencies to property sources, property investors, developers, uh, the like, and it's always really you know good to understand um, you know even though we're all in property, the different viewpoints uh, within the sector. So again, I thought it would be amazing uh, to touch base with yourself. Uh, again, you're one of you know within the property one of the most successful self-made people within our space uh so again it would be good to, to to hear your story and what you've done but you know before we go into all of that you know who, who oh, is Susanna well and what does Susanna kind of just love property which sounds very oh cutesy doesn't it but I'm, I'm a businesswoman um with yeah. with practice so so I think mm-hmm. by getting practice in it, it really helps you then succeed, doesn't it? Because um, I'm currently mentoring my son on his business, which I find fascinating because you, you're, not, you're not born knowing stuff about business. But um, these days in our in our property entrepreneur industry, if you like, um, I have a reasonably decent profile. We, we have a YouTube channel. We've got over a million views. And I'm very happy and very much enjoy sharing knowledge and information about property. And that knowledge and information comes from... Uh, I've been in it well over a decade, so I'm hitting up my second recession now. Uh, and we mm-hmm. sourced, bought, sold, let out over £45 million worth of property at an agreed price of 30 million quid. And we did that first run uh, in less than five years. And, and personally, I've raised millions of pounds, either joint ventures or um, direct finance. And I've flipped a heck of a lot of property and I've also done quite a, a, a lot of joint ventures. So reasonably experienced if you like started out as head of household with, with at the kitchen table with 60 grand up my own personal mortgage and just went uh six month rule what <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not stopping and so that's why you end up evolving and going okay well um clearly i can't you know buy discounted uh, refurb refinance and rent back out and use my cash straight away so i'm gonna have to use of finance and so I ended up running a deal packaging business as well mm-hmm. so so broad set of experience within mm-hmm. the residential property market and as a result somebody years ago said would you teach me and I was a bit I was a bit like you know that double take what who me I was looking over my shoulder and I found out I really enjoy it so mm-hmm. one of the things I love about our sector is you and I are, are almost never going to compete so 
we're much better sharing knowledge than trying to sort of hold it to mm. ourselves because we all benefit as a result. So I, I do very high quality mm. online uh, material for people as well. So there you go, a nice range. I have a portfolio, mm -hmm. done a ton of deals, raised millions of pounds. Okay. There mm. you are. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing. Uh, again, like I said, one of the uh, one of the most successful self-made individuals within our space, and uh, it goes to show what you've been able to do. And uh, again, I do want to touch upon uh, what you said about you know collaborating uh, within our space. Before we go into that, it will be great to know about. So you said you know your your first yes. uh, introduction to property. You know you were in your kitchen and you thought to yourself, oh, let's. Let's let's give this a shot. Uh, t tell us about <laughs> what inspired you well, uh, to um, even get to that stage. For me, property satisfies lots of needs, doesn't it? It's security. It's relative financial safety. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It is the fabled financial freedom, meaning time and money freedom. I, I only spend two hours. I've got a, a very sizable portfolio and I spend two mm -hmm. hours a week on it. So because I've got a very good team that runs it. Mm -hmm. So. So the financial and the security and the sort of stomach side of feeling settled is great. And the creative side is also great fun, you know, buying knackered old houses and making them beautiful. So it satisfies a lot of things. And I like, I like doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's that high energy person. But actually, <laughs> I spent, and I hope this helps mm -hmm. somebody else, I spent a whole year reading books about property and inverted commas, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Like abs just just learning and reading and at the time there weren't any property events which there are now and podcasts like yours mm -hmm. so I simply read lots mm -hmm. of books and there weren't that many books mm -hmm. either and some of them were self-published and they were very ba badly written but, but they were still helpful and useful e even if the, the the writers hadn't necessarily fully mm -hmm. succeeded so I spent a whole year writing out mm -hmm. what I would term a perfect business plan which I hope helped somebody else who's going, why can't I start? Uh, mm -hmm. It was such a big deal and such a big risk. And as head of household, I couldn't afford for it to go wrong. Mm -hmm. But then I couldn't afford to stay in a day job and you'd be stuck mm -hmm. in that life for the rest of my life with the children. You know, it just wasn't who I wanted them to see as their mum. So, mm -hmm. so I just wrote the perfect business plan that you could turn upside mm -hmm. down, stretch, and it was 16 pages long and it always tested out everything. Um, and and then I started. So if anyone else is kind of writing business plans and, and not yet getting going, mm -hmm. I think the kind of person you are depends on whether you jump in and make the parachute on the way down, which to be fair, I am as well, or you really want to mentally get your ducks mm -hmm. in a row. And I'm, mm -hmm. I like to get my ducks in a row and then and then I was off. Um, so, so a lot of learning first. And I think that was about changing my brain to at least reading that if somebody else has done it, then the chances are I could probably try and attempt it too. And I think that's helpful. Like if no one in your community mm -hmm. has done it, if no one in your family has done it, you know, who on earth are you to think it's a possibility? So mm -hmm. for, for me, my business plan, it felt entirely unachievable. But mm -hmm. so cute now was to buy 20 houses at 100 grand each, which is like a mm -hmm. 2 million portfolio. And I actually bought 1.8 million portfolio in the first 18 months mm -hmm. and jumped up my day job and, and, and kept going to 45 million pounds worth of property that we sourced in total. And I was always the biggest buyer. So, so, but, but I didn't know anyone that owned 20 houses. I mean, that was beyond my, it was beyond my capacity for understanding, um, except for, you know, reading it in papers. So actually um, I sat and thought a lot <laughs> and then, and then I did um, seven houses, um, 
I, I, I bought two little, tiny little one-bedders mm. first. Um, eight, one was 79,000, eight grand refurb, mm. re, revalued there and then at 120, ticked along, learned how to be a landlady. And I started buying really fast. I mean, f- from the minute I started, I did not mm. stop. So I think but in the first year, I only bought three houses or, or four, very slow. And then in the next eight, the next six months, I bought three. Anyway, I bought seven before I bought, jumped up my day job. But at this point, I'd already raised 600 grand to buy houses with because I was very good at finding discounted deals. Mm-hmm. I'd learned that it was possible. So I decided, well, if it can be done, I'll get, I'll make mm-hmm. sure it's done. And then I jumped out my day job, which was, I was a marketing director of the SS mm-hmm. Great Britain, which is a very, a very important museum here in Bristol. And I was very honored to do it, but obviously you can't, you know, time. And then, and then I sourced 43 deals in the first year of being full-time in property, mm-hmm. but I was really annoyed because my target was 60. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. we, we definitely will speak about that drive in a second, uh, which, which is amazing. So that, again, that shows what I love about what you said is the fact that this business, you know, cause there's the, the, you know, the, the business of property, but then there's the, the business uh, surrounding it takes a long uh, time to, to really adjust to. So you showed the, the, the progression, yeah. how you know, some people can actually, you know, do it in a much shorter period of time, but you know, uh, but yeah, nine times out of 10, in my opinion, it does take that gradual, um, you know, gradual learning process, educating yourself, you know, um, testing it, thinking, okay, that works, so that doesn't work, and then moving forward that, because I think in property, at least, there is this um, this viewpoint from the, the general public that you can just get involved in property investing or involved in the sector, and then, you know, within yeah. a within, you know, a month, you'll, you'll be a multimillionaire, and that really isn't the case, and if that, that is the case for some, you yeah. know, they, they, what I've seen is they've worked very, very hard to, to get to that stage. Um, so, mm-hmm. you... I feel like there's a gap. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Uh, you went from, uh, you know, your, your first few deals and then, you know, you went from yeah. four deals that you owned yourself. So four properties that you owned yourself and then you, 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 you built from there yeah. and then you got to, uh, say, 43 deals. Yeah. Um, what then happened for like what what then happened after that did you just continue doing what you were doing sourcing, but I'm, so, so i did four deals i can't remember which year was which but i did four deals the first year maybe and then three deals in the following six months and then mm-hmm. full-time and then 43 deals you uh, as uh, um and, and i and taking one step further back i, I i'm a real it's so easy to look back mm-hmm. And then you can sort of dissect and go, okay, there's the logic. At the time, it all feels mm-hmm. chaos, doesn't it? And anyone that's starting to get in property right now and reading, the whole thing's, the whole thing's a good, for me, it's a big ball of wool that a cat's played with until you start to calm it down and go, I understand. And so for me, taking that time to learn, it meant that because I'd sort of mm-hmm. laid down quite a lot of theoretical knowledge with no very limited practical knowledge, it meant that when I was hit with things mm-hmm. fast, which I was, like an entrepreneur, I didn't really need to go back to think mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. sort of ingrained because I'd done so much reading. It was like, ah, this is happening. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's so, so I guess you can do it either which way. You can jump or you can um, mm-hmm. can kind of ingrain knowledge because then if you're going to go fast later on, you don't really mm-hmm. need to miss a beat when something comes and hits you. You just go, okay, mm-hmm. I, I've thought about that and this is what I'm going to do. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, 
and also I'd ran a business. Sorry, I'm not quite answering your question yet. I do appreciate that. I ran another business in my 20s and I started in property in 39, so 10 years older than you are right now. Yeah, yeah, so you got the jump on me, so fair play to you. Um, And and I do think also those business skills that um, Stockton, and I ran fair trade business before it was quite trendy. I'd shops, I expanded, I had vans going out every weekend doing festivals. And so that 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 kind of general business knowledge of managing cash, managing stuff, or or not managing cash, not managing stuff, but but you, you know what I mean. Just the general business knowledge of how to manage a business, and and I I grew up quite fast again without any loans. Is quite useful, I think, um, because then it just gives you kind of a skill set that at the time you don't realise you're pra- using a practice, and then you can apply it to property. Um, I definitely suggest people with hindsight look back at things and realize the early deals are practice deals they're great that you're going to keep them but they're practice deals and keep going so to go back to your general question where's the gap well Mm -hmm. really there were only two skills that i was good at at the beginning which was i can sort it i mean i can source discounted deals i can kind of oh this sounds terrible but i can kind of do it standing on my head it's it's just something i love doing um I was getting my hair done before lockdown and uh, uh, and my hairdresser was going, you know, I was saying, you need to buy five houses because obviously he does. And uh, he's like, well, I can't find any. And so within within the appointment of the hairdressing, I found him too, in his budget, in his location. So I love sourcing discounted deals. And if you can buy, I call it a deal wholesale, you can do more or less anything with it, can't you? You can package one for a fee. I used to charge 5% mm-hmm. and they used to sell within 30 or 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. You can joint venture with somebody so, subject to obviously the legal requirements being satisfied. Mm-hmm. So you split the, fee, uh, the, the profit 50-50. You can buy and sell it if you can raise the funds yourself. Uh, you can buy it and keep it and rent it out again if you can raise the funds yourself. So you have every option if you can do that thing of getting the deal. Because if you've got the deal, you've got the cookie. So one skill I, I got very good at very quickly was sourcing discounted deals. And part of that was my back was against the wall at the time. As head of household, I had very little room for error because I got two responsibilities to feed at home. And then because mm-hmm. because they put they, 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 mm-hmm. because they put in the six months rule, which isn't actually a rule. It's just a suggestion mm-hmm. for mortgage companies. <laughs> and. Now I don't qualify for those early types of mortgage companies, you know, Birmingham Midshires, but I qualify for more commercial because my my portfolio is much larger. But at the time, the kind of uh, companies who took note of the six-month rule, because, by the way, the six-month rule isn't a thing. Well, it is and it isn't. Commercial mortgage companies don't don't worry about it. But because I was qualifying for the sort of beginner startup buy-to-let mortgages, they definitely took six months into account. And I was not prepared to go slowly. So government legislation or government suggestions put put a problem which I then had to hurdle so the problem was you got 60 grand so all you intend to do is buy and sell and uh, buy and sell and buy and keep with your own money you can't do that now because you're not going to be able to go fast enough because you have to wait six months every time not prepared to wait well I need more money how do I get more money I need to fundraise Mm -hmm. so then I became very good quite quickly Mm -hmm. at raising finance dealing with Mm -hmm. investors um, working through that whole process. So really mm-hmm. what we're talking about is only two skills, mm-hmm. sourcing discounted deals and raising money. And then you can put those together. So you can buy portfolio of, of your own, brilliant. 
you can deal package, so sell on to others. And, and we did that for five years and it was only ever going to be for five years. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of money, which then went back into the portfolio. You can buy and sell on your own, great, fine. You can buy and sell as joint ventures with investors and they put all the cash in, great. So do you see what I mean? Those two skills, finding discounted deals and working with investors are the engine really to being able to build a portfolio, but at the same time generate enough cash to keep going until you can actually pull the cat, you know, you can sort of sit and rest up in your laurels and go, whoo, made it, you know, because yeah, I was a multimillionaire. I was a, no, I was a millionaire on paper within three and a half years, but I was brass tacks. I was skin skint. So cash, just assets. Why the cash generating stuff, the flipping, the joint ventures and the deal packaging is so important to keep cash flowing through the business while every penny is thrown into assets, but you can't eat bricks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. completely agree completely agree again you've 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 what i'd love to say in my saying if you've you've dropped so many good gems there if anyone's really listening to what you just said you literally showed again you simplified what um you know what what skills are required because that was going to be my next question what skills do you think require someone to do well in this business and you've said it you know i think um you know especially novices coming into the business and some people who are seasoned you know they try and do too much and all you know they try and find things to do to be busy or sometimes they don't know where to start and you've just said you know if you're good at doing these two things you know and you sh- again shown and proof your track record that you know you, that these are the skills that you can do to really really do well in this business and what i do like as well is is what you said prior, which is you took your time. And again, I don't know why I um, just, you know, glossed that over is in property. Again, this is uh, some of the, the novice mm-hmm. listeners is, you know, we're kind of told, told, even on the agency side, not just on the property investing side that, you know, you get involved in business and it's, it's you know, all guns blazing. You got to go and get the first deal. You got to, you, you got to make this happen, et cetera, et cetera, which is important taking that massive action. But like you said, if you do, um, you know the right work you know you do your homework uh, prior yeah. you know however long it takes you again in your situation you knew I can't let this fail someone who's slightly younger can actually you know they they, they can take a few hits you know <laughs> a few hits uh, uh, to the gut there uh, but by doing that you were able to uh, again if, if something did crep up you know obstacles you could um, you know uh, to rectify them there and that's one thing that I, I'm seeing in a lot of people I'm interviewing that are successful uh, in property and whatever they do, whether they're you know top agents, yes. developers, property sources, or like or property investor like yourself, is the pivot. This this thing about pivoting is really really interesting. I wish I uh, humble and I'm saying this humbly as well. I wish someone had yeah. told me taught me that when yes. I first got involved in the businesses that if this doesn't work, don't stop away from it. Just you know just find the pivot, find the way you can change where the opportunity is and then swift. And that's something it seems like you were very, very good at identifying these pivots. Can I ask you, is that a skill that you were born I, with or something you identified? I think it's a practice you learn. So you've already brought out the boxer so in you, haven't when, you? And this is exact, you know, you, you could, now I don't know boxing terms, although I did see, I did see boxing um, at the Olympics in Rio. I was front row. I was very lucky. The, American team had some spare tickets. I was like, yes, please. Uh, 
was terrible, but because <laughs> I didn't know the rules, I kept having to say, who's won? I'm so yeah. sorry. You could just throw me off now. Mm. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's so, so forgive me, I don't have the technical <laughs> language, but, you know, when you're boxing, it doesn't go to plan, does it? And you stay light, you know, however heavy you are and yes. however muscular you are, you stay light and nimble on your feet, don't you? And you read the situation and you duck, mm. you dive and, and you go. And mm -hmm. this is the yes, same. So there are some business tools I think are very useful to do so. We we mm -hmm. pestle political, economic, social, legal, technological, environmental. It's just an analysis. It's mm -hmm. a classic MBA tool, to, you know, a business tool to analyze. And we SWOT, which mm -hmm. I'm sure most people have heard of, but strengths, weaknesses, mm -hmm. opportunities, and threats. So mm -hmm. two external, two internal. Um, and those two very simple tools mm -hmm. allow you to do quite a bit of market scanning and market analysis and a little bit of internal analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think it's quite important to, on the one hand, rinse and repeat the cookie cutter mm -hmm. that you're very good at. On the other hand, um, be aware. So, so some very simple pivots. Well, if you're in my house right now, because we're still currently chatting during lockdown, I, I have a really, really high quality education program. I'm not saying that for, for selling. What I mean is I love it. It's a live mentoring program. And of course, we're just not taking anybody new and we've got an amazing group of people, but we can't, we're doing it all on Zoom. So we've immediately had to pivot on that, um, you know, and uh, and um, I, I used to run a very successful service accommodation portfolio as well as an HMO student and a single let portfolio. And I actually lock. I didn't lock my team down. That sounds terrible. I I closed down my office about ten days before Boris put us into lockdown because I, I just didn't like the look of this thing, and, and we immediately cancelled, stopped, and turned our entire service accommodation portfolio into single lets because we could just see it coming. And I do think that entrepreneurs, they will make. I will. You will. We will. As entrepreneurs. We'll make daft mistakes sometimes, but I do think making a fast decision is often very valuable mm -hmm. because I didn't mess around because I knew that behind me was going to be the rest of the Bristol service accommodation lot and I needed to get tenants in. So I, my properties normally are high end and I, I charge high rent. I'm at, always in the top quartile of rent. And for the mm -hmm. first time in my life, I, I'm charging middle quartile rent. It pains me because it's not my product, but I dropped the rents of these service accommodations to get tenants in because I knew there was going to be a tsunami wave behind me of service accommodation providers desperately seeking tenants who were then in lockdown. So that's pivot, isn't it? Now, those lucky tenants are only going to get six months at that rate. You know, and good on them. They've saved themselves quite a few thousand quid. I'm afraid they're not staying mm. in those properties at, at that discounted rate. That was simply a fast mm. move to get ahead of any lockdown difficulties. Mm. No, of course not. But I think that's very, very important. And we will speak about the the, the education piece because that's actually how I found you through uh, the education, your education yeah. company. Again, you you teach really, really good strategies with that. But we'll, we will get into that. But what I find really really interesting about what you said is 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 how you pivot so in in property and again you know you can appreciate uh Suzanne, I've, I've only been it's in business best. five years oh, well, I haven't been around that long I mean I, I'm still there I haven't been in my first three crash. years my property first, investors um, this is going to be yeah, your best but, time exactly, for the, exactly. the next 10 years sadly but that's that's the fact of recessions well, I, mm, mm. 
yeah, uh, I've, I've been told that quite a few times. So, um, you know, in a, in a weird way, I'm 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 lucky to, to to be around now. But what I find really really interesting about about that that pivot is in in property again. Um, we're I feel uh, property professionals, the industry as a whole, are very slow to adapt. Whether it's technology, whether it's new uh, strategy. So, to give a listen, listeners an example, so when I first got involved in uh, you know, traditional yes. agency working at Countrywide, our division was quite innovative, but all the other branches weren't. That's one example. The second example being when I eventually started working, uh, started my own firm and when I was working for uh, my friend at Gars Real Estate, um, you know, we were working with property professionals, you know, like let's say the younger version of yourself, because we were very young at the time. So not, not, not a lot of the seasoned vets wanted to work with us, but um, a, a lot of the guys yeah. and girls that would come to us were coming with, some of these, you know, serviced accommodation. I never heard of it at that time. Um, and then, you know, educating myself, working with the landlords, you know, then being able to provide it to to the service accommodation providers. Um, you know, other agencies weren't even allowing that. You know, there was an agency that I was partnered with at the time that said, you know, any applicants come your way that doesn't yeah. matter how credible they are <laughs> or how much business they've done, you know, we won't look at service accommodation. And these were in yeah. buildings that allowed service accommodation. So um, what I find interesting about you is the fact that, you know, you're always one yeah. step and ahead uh, of, of the pivot. So it's not even the fact you pivot, it's the fact you pivot early. And, you know, to go back to that boxing analogy, you know, it, it's literally a couple of inches, you know, um, you know that that wins uh, sometimes wins the match and if you're able to pivot early and find so the opening if, if you then, were you know, here at my house sorry, i'm interrupting but if you were I, here at my house right now um area. i'm in my dining room yeah. which is downstairs yeah. i've got like a 1950s arga ebay honestly ebay you 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 think you've got a massive deal when you've got a 400 quid 1950s mm. arga and then it's two and a half grand to renovate you're like oh, <laughs> sugar <laughs> there you go and I like stripped strip brick, yeah. so it's all strip brick. Um, and I have yeah. seventeen <laughs> sheets. Uh, so as soon as lockdown uh, happened, I rewrote I rewrote the business plan for part of the business, mm -hmm. and I have seventeen sheets of A4 paper mm -hmm. with stuff to do that cannot come off the wall mm -hmm. until it's been done. Um, and that's about eight mm -hmm. weeks now. So you you just got to go right. How do we how do we readjust to this? Okay, what's the full plan? What's the full detail? Now we've got to grind our way through it to, to pop back out the other end. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is the detail, isn't it? It, it? But it's also don't 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 be a butterfly. Don't Maybe. scatter from one thing to another. Go deep it on is. one thing, and then go deep on the next good thing. But it, it's you'll be fine. Just bring in your boxing skills. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another thing that I've seen is a lot of people, um, yeah. uh, you know, guys and girls that seem to be yeah. well in this business seem to have a, 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 a competitive uh, mindset, if that makes sense, whether it's, you know, they previously the sports or they're in fitness or they're just, you know, they just have drive, which is second to none. And that's something I've seen with you. And you said it in this, which is the, you know, I, well, I did four different deals and anyone else probably would listen to that and say, oh, well, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's really good. Like, no, exactly. You're quite annoyed. So uh, my question uh, to you is, where I, did, where did I think drive? people are, well, it's nature and um, nurture, isn't yeah, it? Where did it come from? Um, so my competitive drive is, uh, is I, I think it's always been there a little bit, to be frank with you. My sister tells a story when, like, you know, like little girls being gymnastics, like gymnastics. 
they have to start at age three and four, but we didn't join our gymnastic club till we were about nine or 10 mm. or something. And I decided I was going to be the champion. <laughs> Kids, like with a little podgy tummy. Um, and so my sister just talks about when we went down to my grandma's <laughs> house down in London, we used to live in Scotland. Mm. And and I would just have three training sessions a day. And I do think, and, and I i don't remember any of that, but I do think there's something within me that is, I love business and I love sports. I love, you know, physicality. I love the, you know, um, and there's just something exciting about getting up every day and trying to be better than you were yesterday and trying to grow something, improve something, make it really high quality. So I do think there's something within you that probably drives you uh, and so like I'll get excited to go to bed so that I can have a good sleep so I can get up um, and watch. now I, I now work 183 days a week a year not a week a year and I'm mm-hmm. normally I'm on a holiday or being spending time with people I love 182 days a year but <laughs> that's because I have a mechanism to separate myself out because otherwise I just work all the time because I love it um and I, I also love so many other parts of life so I think I think some there's something within a person but then also, um, for anyone who's new, there's something rather addictive about if you mm-hmm. can find a property discounted, renovate it, pull all your cash back out, have people paying you re- rent, be proud of your work, mm-hmm. you know, be, be glad that you're providing this good quality mm-hmm. housing. You know, I'm a good quality landlord. I've, I've never, you know, deposits go back properly, you know, all of that stuff. It's, but I expect my tenants to behave properly as well. Um, if you if you finding discounted deals and refinancing them and renovating them is very addictive. Because of course, it, the, the question is when do you when do you stop? Because if you you, you could keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the mechanism of the fact that it's an extraordinary business to mm-hmm. be in. You know, you get fifty hundred grand per deal, but so woohoo! Come on, let's make this really good. Like I am really excited about mm-hmm. stuff that I do. You know quality that's that's amazing and 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 i i definitely get that excitement from you but what i also get from you is it's not just the drive and you know the the fact that you know you're you're a planner but at the same time you're a doer which which is a great combination by the way um but the fact that you take really you have very high standards not just in your product and you know the end product but also in yourself you know you've got very high standards in yourself and how you want to do things and would you say that's also contributed to you know the you know how you've been able to really progress quite quickly within the industry where many others have taken probably three times it could be no i've definitely made mistakes Uh, no doubt about it but but mistakes and things going wrong slow you up enormously. Like the, the amount of time to fix a mistake is like three to five times the, the amount of time than if it had been done properly in the first place. You know that Kaizen theory, just in, just in time and it, 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 it do it right first time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. So so I, I suspect without knowing, because I haven't reflected mm-hmm. back, that by trying to get more things right than wrong, which most human beings try and do and by being let's be frank a little bit OCD about things occasionally then then although I don't call it OCD I call it OCO which is obsessive compulsive order because everything should be incorrect at all times even if I don't sometimes you know um, I do think that that what, what happens is you get less friction because I have had things go wrong you know we once um 
we once uh, gave a house to a JV partner and didn't take our mm -hmm. 50% share because I didn't feel that we had delivered in the way that my standards are feel acceptable. So we wasted, in the nicest way, a lot of time, and I paid my team a lot of money to mm -hmm. get nothing back out, but, but I didn't feel that it was an acceptable thing to do so. So, you know, that's a real drag on a business. I mean, um, so by trying to get things right and by just dotting the I's and crossing the T's first time, I think it, it just creates more, less friction. So you can go faster, you can glide more smoothly, you can rinse and repeat and you're on a roll and, you're, you know, you're skiing downhill really, aren't you? Instead, mm -hmm. instead of climbing up a hill. Of course, I completely agree. And just to echo that point, what, you know, when I first... Uh, yes. You know, started out, you know, uh, I would say in, in, in the own, in my own venture, which is, you know, Bay on the States, um, the first, yes. the first probably four to six months, I had a, a, a salesman hat on, a deal maker's hat on, as, as we just discussed. And one thing that, you know, good sales uh, yep. people, you know, men and women, uh, is we're, we're very, you know, numbers driven, but we're, we're about getting sometimes a deal done and then the, <laughs> the rest <laughs> in the back, back end, the back office, the admin side, that kind of, you know, gets left in the, in the, in the rear view. And that's when deals sometimes, you know, die and get killed or, you know, loads of issues sometimes present themselves. So I'm glad that you say that, you know, it's, it's good to really, really uh, focus on the details, see how to do things right the first time, because it does save you time later on. You know, I, yeah. I've, I've even had many instances at the beginning where I, we didn't do reference checks proper, uh, properly um, on, on behalf of the landlord and you yeah. know, the deal got left out because once we, you know, once, you know, I said, oh, okay, actually, I haven't seen this information. Let me look at that. You know, we finally realized that the tenant wasn't the right tenant for the property. And luckily enough, we were able to kill the deal <laughs> before it happened. Um, you know, all the, you know, the landlord would have been left with a, a terrible tenant and, you know, we probably would have lost that client. So uh, you're completely correct. And now that I'm more OCO, but I, I as you think say. two things here as well. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm jumping in again. Sorry. Much smoother First is kind of operations systems. So as fast um, as possible, rin um, create an ops manual. You know, as soon as you're doing yeah. something twice, it, it's a repeatable thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that you know tick boxes i mean we even have we even have ops manuals on how to go to auction with a jv partner you know and obviously had to refund the money back to the next day and then the second thing is also uh, for me i'm probably less um if if admin was left to me 85% of it would get done but not 100% because i want to move forward so so we use wealth dynamics in our team to identify different people's um, personality types or business personality types and then make sure your team is is filled so with having quite a, a decent property portfolio about 90 percent mm -hmm. of my mail is financial mail and i work with the most amazing bookkeeper and finance director so all i do is put it in the in-tray you know i check it very mm -hmm. quickly but i do nothing further with it but but mm -hmm. somebody else who loves organizing and managing those details mm -hmm. it, it it means that my job is just to glance at it, check everything looks okay, and then double the accounts in zero once a month rather than doing any more work. So I think also play to your strengths, not to your weaknesses, but get very, very good quality members. Mm -hmm. um, when, it was actually my Sparky said about a team, he used to have a much larger team, and he said, Suze, you can either have, you can either have tradesmen, tradesmen, or you can have labourers with tools. Okay. Labourers with tools, you've got to stand on site because otherwise they're not going to do their job. Mm. Tradesmen take pride in their work. 
And I do think any team you build around you has to be an A-lister in their particular skill, myself. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course, completely agree. And, and that, that's, that's, that's actually the, the, the next stage. So you went from, again, the deal sourcing five years, you put a, a stop target on that for five years. And I'll, again, I'll be interested to know why after five years you, you put that, 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 that target in there. Yeah. And then you went into investing and raising finance, but in that space as well, you built a team and all of those things. So that's really, really interesting. Um, and now what you are where you are now, which is, again, you've got a substantial portfolio. Um, what I, I think my question to you is, you in, a, in our yeah. industry, and, I, and I'm saying this as a, I believe, which is I great. believe I'm, a, I'm a youngster in the space. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I feel old, but... Yeah, which is great, but you know, I feel old, but you know, I'm definitely most definitely in, um, a youngster within the space. Um, is that um, are you know you've done oh, so yeah. much? You know, you, you, what I say is you've gone through. Uh, you've again, you've gone through the progression. There's still more to go. I know there's still more in. We're most definitely going to talk about that. But you went through each individual stage and you, and you grew, uh, and you've done very very well uh, by doing that, and mm. which is amazing. But at the same time, in our in our sector, I would say that um, diversity and uh, you know, female representation isn't the best, even though we have there's many women like yourself that are doing amazing things uh, on, on the deal side, the investing side as well. Um, you know, do you feel, you know, it's improved since you've been in the industry? And, you know, where do you think, you know, it can improve yeah. for it to become a little bit of a I, I, I watched the whole diversity thing with lots of interest, of, both for women and for people who are not white or um, um, different ethnicities. And I get really frustrated at times, although I tend to hold it in. Uh, but I also observe um, on the, on the, and I, I kind of wonder what it is that's making mm -hmm. that not 50 50. Because the beauty about property is when you sign a mortgage offer, you're a signature you know you literally never meet the people who offer you the mortgage because mm -hmm. they're, they're a bank and so all you are is a piece of statistical data which allows them to judge and allows them to judge mm -hmm. the deal whether that deal or your statistical financial data is going to measure up to the point they're willing to invest some money in you mm -hmm. and so it's a gender neutral or race neutral signature mm -hmm. which i really like because uh, you know, the, oh, you're, excuse me. You're not being judged, are you, on your mm -hmm. on 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 your sex or your race? Um, so the, the 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 bare bones of property is completely non-sexist or racist or you know homophobic mm -hmm. or any of that stuff. Yeah, there's uh, and there's more coming. You know, for women, there's um, a really group um, property sisters. There's a whole bunch mm -hmm. of you know Kate Faulkner's been around for a long time. She talks a heck of a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Ruth Gillian. Victoria Stenhouse, Pippa from Fox Properties, Jay from Beef Space, and tons and tons and tons of other fab women. Um, so, so I'm interested, and, and certainly in my room, it's about 50-50 men and women, but at the same time, when you see speakers or when you see panellists, at most there's usually only one woman. That is, it's not normally 50-50 representation, which is disappointing, and you, I'd love to see more. Mm -hmm. of course i completely agree i uh, you know it's one of the 
things yeah. that I've seen, you know, again, I'm very much of the notion that it's about your ability to do the job. Um, if we were just to go on the ability to do the job, um, just from a gender perspective, uh, in property, I've seen <laughs> women do much better at the job than men. Again, I'm generalizing, but, you know, sometimes numbers don't lie. Uh, and I've been in offices where <laughs> I've been yeah. in offices where, you know, we, we as um, I can I help. So, so there's you know, research, isn't there, to show that people will go for a job if they think they can do seventy, and, uh, sorry, thirty percent of the job, and women very broadly can will go for a job if they think yeah. they can do seventy percent. So I, I imagine that straight away. So I, okay, this is talking yeah. very broad brush. And if you get letters, I'm really sorry. Or, yeah. um, I think there's pluses and minuses to both. So you men, oh my god, you guys just jump in. You're like, yeah, honey, I can do this, and it's like. <laughs> And whereas I may have taken a traditional trajectory of a woman and gone, I'm going to spend a whole year figuring out what it is I need to do because yeah. the fact that I'm going to do it is a non-negotiable. So I'm going to study for a whole year first, and then I'm going to I'm going to absolutely smash it, you know. Um, and that may be a male-female thing straight away. The mm. downside, and and this is broad brush again, I don't see many high-profile females going bust in property, and I do see some mm. male. I I, I mm. don't think. I know of any female property developer who's gone bust, but I know of quite a few men. And and that could be that kind of confidence that means they don't close the door the back end and, and pay things down. So off air, I was like, right, mind your loan to value. <laughs> you know, and I'm having this broad discussion at the moment with a good friend of mine, Ranjan, who's like, Suze, you know, you could do the standing in your head, get in, you know, and I'm like, well, I've got this debate. Do I put together a consortium of investors again and mm. just buy blocks of 20 flats, you know, which I do not standing mm. in my head, but but by and large standing in my head with, you know, the usual straighting tiny moments that accompany this mm. stuff, or I continue to pay down my houses. And that's a kind of male-female mm. split as well as mm. just uh, where do you want to be in life? And I'm observing it yeah. with interest people at the same level as me with the same depth of experience as me and what are the men doing what are the women doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of course and i i think what what the beauty of our industry is or what it eventually will become into is that collaboration and and seeing what and i, I like again i love the way that you think is it's not who's better at the job it's okay, what can I learn from both? And I think there's things that we can learn from, yeah. from both ends. And, you know, we're all, we're all you know, not to, to use the COVID uh, uh, tagline, but we are all in this property race together. Um, and it would just be, I think, from my perspective, it would be really good to see uh, a situation where it is in, in the US as well, where, you yes. know, uh, male, female, whatever, uh, we are seeing in the same light and, and and it's promoted more whether it's on the panels uh whether it's on social media whether it's on uh from a transaction yeah. perspective um I, again i'd love, Come on. love to see it. i mean i, I i've sacked an architect for being right too sexist like unable to look me in the eye he well. would look at my colleague yeah. who was a male a yeah. man and he'd look at my builder was a man and he simply couldn't look at me yeah. and i'm like um i write the check <laughs> like, like you know, so so the consequence of me writing the check is I'm the decision maker. Mm. So <laughs> you probably need to address your remarks to me if you want me to make a decision, you know. 
So he got booted. Mm-hmm. And I've also had, um, 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 so my best mate is a guy, happens to be a, a guy who lives up in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And I also have had incredibly um, visually descriptive pornographic messages sent to me mm-hmm. by Chippy about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, wow. So I thought he was kidding for a minute or two. So I just like um, copied them and sent them up to Edinburgh to my best mate. And, and I think for a second, my best mate was like, oh my God, she's got a crush on me. Hell no. <laughs> so yeah, the chippy had to go. And I even gave the lad a let out the next day because he was drunk. I was like, listen, mate, I won't name him. Listen, mate, you know, we all say things that we, we, we don't mean when we're drunk. And the silly sods when oh, I meant it. It's like, no. No, no. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's you know, it's funny because I've again, I've, I've had the pleasure to, to interview very successful uh, women in the space, whether it'll be on the uh, on the ground, say in the, in the early stages, mm-hmm. and even to yourself more on the let's say on the top tier side of things, and Things have definitely improved. There's still issues, as as we know, but there's things are improving. Yeah. And um, with you know, with with, with will, that change I, comes. I'm being naughty and sickness, but I do think that the isms um, are also what, what from a sense of um, from, uh, power and economic wealth is a level of power and for me it's a level of internal power i don't need to flaunt it i don't need to be like or any of that nonsense but it gives me very quiet power within of myself and within my own stomach you know what i mean and i do think that um as and when uh, women become more wealthy as and when folks who are not white become more wealthy and so many people are already they are simply taken more seriously by the powers that be whoever those powers that be are whoever we want to name them as so for me, mm-hmm. the slight uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, this, I don't get grumpy mm-hmm. about sexism. Mm-hmm. I used to get really cross when I was in my twenties. I think I just think the best way to approach an ism, whatever the ism is mm-hmm. that is against you, is to go right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy another half a million pounds worth of property. So take that mm-hmm. in your pipe, you know, because you are developing your economic power. At some point, that needs to be noticed. I love that. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course not. I complete. You know what? That, that, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and uh, that, that might be the soundbite of the episode. Uh, we don't know. We still have much more questions to go by. I, I, I love that. And, and again, that goes back to that whole you know, let the business speak for itself. You know, I one thing that I've, and I, again, I'll speak quite freely, you know, when I first yeah. um, got involved uh, in property, yeah. you know, when I walked into my first office, you know, I was one of a uh, few uh, ethnic minorities with in uh, the office. Uh, and, and again, there wasn't that many um, uh, women as well within the, in the office as well. And if we're just talking on the property consultancy side, um, yeah. which was you know th- those who dealt with the uh, buyers and also the, uh, the the renters as well, it was myself. And you know anyone that can ask can ask. <laughs> In the first six months, we were the best. It was myself. It was an ethnic minority who did the, the most business on the property consultancy side. Um, that was actually my first month. But then yeah. also uh, who who beat me uh, for <laughs> the next <laughs> four months. I came second was was a woman and she absolutely smashed it out of the 
the part of Bridget, who's who was uh, who was Irish and absolutely amazing, and she actually taught me uh, a, a lot of what, what I do. And the person that actually got me hired, uh, Hannah, uh, who uh, yeah. was head of training, uh, also one was the reason why I got the job. The reason actually why I got involved in property, and uh, again, she t- taught me how to sell properly. So um, I. It, I think from my experience, the reason I always ask this question um, to, to both uh, sides of the, the, the gender spectrum is, um, you know, I, I, I love to see what people's thoughts of why, uh, you know, things have yeah. taken a long while to, to happen. Whilst, you know, if we were just to look at KPIs, uh, it usually is a different story. So but I'm glad that you said, you know, if, if it does get to that, you literally just sit back, say, okay, you know, what, what numbers do I need to, to, to do to show for my, at least myself, uh, from an empowerment uh, perspective? And it usually goes and gets the right attention. So, but I wish, I wish, <laughs> um, you know, Suzanne, I had you. And then uh, also, who in your community in owns to, millions to of pounds worth of property? For whom is this that. normal? Um, yeah, and, like you, you know, is there an invisible sort of um, um, constraint within your brain or because this is not the normal thing within a certain community, whether it's a male community, female community, black community, whatever the community is. And, and, and then just to, to decide that that's not how I'm going to be. And, and then what becomes is you then become a, a, a subtle trailblazer for others. And whether you know or not, they'll be referencing you and you will, you will, you will open out their their comfort zone of imagination of what they can achieve because they can identify back. So, and it's interesting. I I see a lot of in my in certainly my rooms and and where I go to speak as well. There's a there's a lot of women, a lot of men, uh, and a lot of different um, races in the room as well. It's very mixed. And I do think the benefit the property has is um, often that kind of uh, white male bastion of old boys club within certain industries. Well, it's a bit like if you if you look at um, it, it, well, I liken it to the Quakers from the 17th century. So the Quakers mm-hmm. could not uh, the Quakers could not take a, a, a vow uh, because of their religion. So they were mm-hmm. unable to become lawyers and doctors and accountants and all the sort of intelligent middle-class profession because they're unable to take, to take a, a vow. And, and as a result, what I notice is there are a lot of 17th century and 18th century Quaker business that became very big. If you think of Fry's, Cadbury, was Lloyd's, I forget what the Lloyd's was or not, forgive me. But, and, and so what tended to happen is they, they had to become outsiders to the mm-hmm. mainstream norm because, because of their circumstances. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they took their skills and their drive as a and built amazing businesses because nobody can tell you not to when you're selling chocolate <laughs> you know? and and I think this is a parable for us if we are ever so slightly outside the, the norm then <laughs> you know that signing on that mortgage document nobody cares if you're a man or a woman so you can build your business outside the norms really completely agree most definitely agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know I, I would say like I said even setting up my adventure there were those um, internal uh, conversations that one puts in their mind when they think about you know setting up not everyone has it but I would put my hand up you know and I'm more than happy to to, to, to speak frankly on it that I had the same 
uh, viewpoint that, you know, I, you know, when I go to speak to certain agents or I speak to other developers, I don't really see myself on the other side of the uh, side of the table. Um, and I have done, but not all the time, you know, and same when I, you know, go to certain meetings, I don't always see a woman on the other side of the table. And I think it's important that we have the conversation to talk about why, what we think that the reason for is behind it, but also what are the, you know, the, the, the positives and the, where do we feel, you know, the changes can come from and by having these conversations and even by you're having your response, it's been, you know, ticking light bulbs in my head of, okay, oh, that's actually, yeah. good. I implement that and that only comes through, through conversation. And I think it's extremely important that, 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 that continues to, to, to happen and change happens as well, because, you know, other parts of the world, it, it the, the representation, uh, is slightly different and and it's there's a reason why those markets are doing better than we are uh, in, in, in regards to fees and and transactions etc cetera, etc cetera, because you know when you have a difference uh, in people yeah. and viewpoints and then you collaborate with those different viewpoints sometimes or most times in none something always something beautiful sometimes comes out of it and in our space as well it's knowledge but also yeah you know, uh, the, the, the bottom line, which is also money as well, which is good. So, um, but, you know, if, if we're to, to take a shift in regards to continuous changes is, is the market. So, yeah. like I said, I've only been around for five years and hopefully I'm still around for another five to 10 or even more. Um, yeah. But I've seen changes just in that five year period. Um, what changes have you seen since, you know, from when you first was uh, picked up your first property book, uh, <laughs> teaching yourself the market to, getting to the, the 45 yeah. million, so 30 million. So the obvious one is legislation. Okay. Is, uh, there is greater legislation coming in, the, in the market, um, which you look at through PESL, political, economic, social, legal, technological, environmental. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily against that legislation because I don't mind the fact that landlords are required to professionalise. I mean, I am aware that my HMO mm -hmm. licences are simply a stealth tax, but there you are. Um, but I don't mind the fact that I'm required to provide fire risk assessments mm. and you know, special surveys and things like that, because that to me is all about safety. Mm. So the, the, the theory is great. The um, let, give us more cash is a bit cheeky, mm. but there you go. Um, so, so some legislations come in. Mm. We still have a relatively free market in terms of being able to access buy to let, which was so lucky. Mm. Um, interest rates were incredibly fortunate with. Mm. Um, I still think mainly five-year fixed just in case um, but I'm taking my first two-year fixed uh, over the next two years which is a first mm -hmm. ever whereas I was five-year fixed and beyond or 10-year fixed mm -hmm. so very fortunate with the interest being what it is and I'm, I'm watching with real care mm -hmm. and attention to see whether one of the ways out of the mm -hmm. UK government taking on all of this debt will be inflation so I'm very mindful of that. Um, and then the, the other changes I'm seeing is is um, more and more the kind of Instagram generation mm -hmm. uh, and the immediacy of things. So I'm top end uh, market as a as a landlord. So um, we run mm -hmm. regular repair maintenance programs on my properties. Mm -hmm. Our images are very nice. So we charge high rent, but we have mm -hmm. a quality product and what I find fascinating is in more and more the younger generation, folks of you know your age, kind of 24 to 33 are, are our rough target range. Like they don't mind paying for a high quality product if they're getting a high quality. So on HMOs, it's always on suites and things like that. And, 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 and so I, th I think social media and imagery is becoming more and more important. And then the other part of the change that I find fascinating, mm -hmm. well, 
two, two things. One is going back to low interest rates. Because interest rates are so low, it makes it relatively an easy proposition to borrow money privately, as long as you do all the checks and, and all the legal stuff. And obviously you have a good deal. You know, you're, you're a decent bet for some. Because if they get nothing in the bank, then, then that's a really interesting proposition for them. And then the other change I find really interesting, and I'm monitoring very carefully, is the delay that people have now to buying houses. So they're much older. And the fact that in the past, people used to buy and set, well, they used to move roughly every seven years, and now they're moving every 14 years. So that means that top-end properties, the prices are going to tumble because people are not going to be laddering up. It means that lower-priced properties are going to be more the norm, you know, one-bed flats, two-bed flats, as opposed to, say, three, four, five-bed houses. Mm -hmm. um, and it means that um, more and more, and you've probably seen this a lot in London, people are going to the loft. So once they do a loft extension, they've got the space they need for the families. They don't move, so then they mm -hmm. they don't move for uh, 14 years. And so for seven years, they move every 14 years. So then that impacts on buy-to-sell and the flipping strategy. So then you say, well, what's the product I'm going to flip? And it's got to be a smaller product because people don't want to buy a bigger product. They're creating it themselves by going through two loft extensions. I mean, how it all ties in. So then the question is, who's your customer? And it's either your first time buyer or your downsizer. So I'm kind of interested in social media. Everything's Insta ready and perfect and glossy. I'm kind of interested in later buyers. I'm kind of interested in downsizers. Um, and I'm kind of interested in the whole marketing aspect to make sure your marketing matches the quality of what everybody's reading from Instagram on a day-to-day -day basis. The Kardashians are now normal girls. Really? You're like, that would take me like five hours, you know, and about three yeah. years of not eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, That's I a good question. Are they eating okay? <laughs> <laughs> I always ask myself that. No, I, I think you make some really, really good points. You know, I, uh, you know, again, you know, sometimes when you, um, mm -hmm. well, I say for myself, sometimes I'm myself, you know, when I've got my agent hat on, I'm only thinking about the area I'm focused on or, you know, maybe London property in the general, but through having the opportunity through this podcast to really reach out to people like yourself and other people, I've, I've heard the same thing that the yeah. demographics of, um, uh, have changed um, dramatically so you know when I first got involved in uh, agency um, I would say first-time buyers yeah. most definitely were around my age or even sometimes you know younger and I know you know sort of put in place or um, you know, you know mum and dad loan effectively they guarantee it but even on that side of things I would say yeah. majority of the people within my age range are renting more yeah, that's definitely uh, the case whether in London it's um, definitely the the, the, the room rentals have, have is, has, has skyrocketed rather than, um, let's say, the single let market. Uh, that's still there and it's still strong. Uh, and even the demographics of who's renting and those lo um, those long-term lets, uh, it has changed as well. You know, you see more, uh, you know, service uh, serviced, uh, accommodation providers taking over those or uh, international um, uh, students, et cetera, et cetera. Again, those demos have changed. And then even on the... Um, on the uh, 
let's say the, the the back end of the market so people who are downsizing you know usually it would be upsize 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 the kids leave and then we downsize you know we're seeing mm-hmm. um you know even families so it's deciding you know what we're going to rent uh, yeah. <laughs> sell our house and then we'll find something small in the market that makes more sense and then those high-end properties are being repurposed maybe into so apartments etc so you you know, developers are jumping on that and, you know, investors like yourself. So it's just really interesting just to see that every, majority of people who are doing their homework are seeing that. And I'm, you know, again, lucky enough to, to, to just be a midst of those who are again, looking for the next pivot. You know, <laughs> it, it, you know your, your first time buyers want high quality, your renters are older and want high quality and your downsizers want it all done for them, high quality. And, and the other one, which we might just slip in, is um, commercial. So the high street is changing rapidly through lots of different reasons, including online and all the rest of it. Yeah. So that classic and quite a few of my mentees recently have done this. In fact, three of them have two two sets of properties, five doors apart from each other. They both, both bought at auction at different auctions. So you've got the shop down below and the apartments up above. So you chop the you shop the shop forward, so it's a smaller shop, so it doesn't need to pay mm-hmm. uh, so much uh, commercial uh, rates, mm-hmm. and it's available for you know a startup cafe or you know a classic millennial person wanting mm-hmm. to do some avocado on toast, and I'm not taking them. No, I kind of am. You know, apartment at the back, which is a higher um, <laughs> rental per square foot, and then mm-hmm. ideally pop into the loft, so you've got maybe either a maisonette or, or a couple of apartments on mm-hmm. top. So. So repurposing old commercial units that are getting tired and not used mm-hmm. to smaller units for startup companies that, um, with more resi around it is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So there's always opportunities, aren't there? Mm-hmm. There are indeed. And I hope for, for the listeners that, uh, you know, that, that they really just listen to oh, what you said. Because again, I, you just listen I know you want to ask another question. Can I give out two more strategies. just because they're my... <laughs> Right. You in uh, London, I love this one. It is taking old, okay, uh, older council flats or ex council flats mm-hmm. that have been sold off that you can yeah. now buy with leases that allow this to happen because everybody has a, a kitchen room diner these days. So mm-hmm. you can the kitchen, pop it into the living room mm-hmm. because that's socially normal, and then the kitchen becomes yes. a second bedroom. And, and so, like, I'm buying a 1920s Art Deco yeah. apartment in Barcelona right now, right in the middle of lockdown. Mm-hmm. So, the Aras money is over, but the rest of the money isn't yet. And it's nine minutes from the beach. Woohoo! But um, it's sold on the fact it's 70 meters mm-hmm. squared because that's what Europe does because Europe's yeah. sensible. In Britain, <laughs> we're like, how many bedrooms? And so in London in particular, when you make a one-bedroom flat into a two-bedroom flat by putting a few bits of yeah. two before and moving some gas, some electricity and some water, getting the building regs and getting the freeholders' consent, the value has just gone up like 70 grand. It's mental. So that's an amazing strategy for you in London. And then one for anywhere in a relatively strong urban area, normally ex-council houses. I I just did this myself. Um, um, So corner plots. And again, I say ex-council just because they tend to be very generously sized. They're super proportions in the 1950s. Approach approach either buy it. I mean, I just sold a plot of land off in a garden for 75 grand. You know, it cost me grand and a half for planning and then the estate agent fee, you know. I know. Mm-hmm. So I know. How good is that? And and the guy was actually self-isolating the daughter <laughs> in a flat in in Bulgaria. Even his second wife and he and his daughter lives in Bulgaria, but he's a builder in Bristol. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't even need to own that. That could be an assisted sale. You could go to people that live in these corner plots who are getting older, who 
sadly may not have sorted out their pension properly. And you could be like, look, I'll 50-50 with you. There's a house beside you, so you've got to you know, figure out whether that works for you. But you don't need to have the grass anymore to cut because you know, the most lovely way you're getting older and it's just a drag for you. And you don't need to put any risk in. I'll do all the risk, you know, I'll pay for the planning and we'll split the profit 50-50. Obviously, do document it up properly, legally and all the rest of it. And they might be very grateful to get a really nice lump sum in with no risk, no hassle and mm -hmm. uh, less of a garden to, to manage. And someone else can, can buy the plot. You know, 75 grand divided by two is not bad. Now can do 50 of them a year. That's almost a million quid cash. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Again, amazing, stra amazing strategies. Like, again, I hope the listeners really like that one. <laughs> listen to that one. And uh, I was going to ask another question, but um, as you've, based on what you said, I want to ask you this question. Is your property portfolio predominantly UK or, you know, is it able, are you then able to, you know, once you've got to a decent stage uh, within your... You say, could, you but this is actually an apartment, apartment that I bought for myself for my birthday. Oh, so, mm -hmm. um, and my handyman will be driving out. It's it's oh, 1,700 okay. <laughs> miles. Good stuff. Oh, no, sorry, it's going to take him 17 hours to drive there with his van of tools. <laughs> so this is fun. So I think I think you invest, invest, invest. I mean, at one point I had a car that was so embarrassing when I was doing talks that even I, who don't really care, was like, I'm not going to park this in the hotel because nobody will believe the property stuff I tell them if, if they see how awful my car is. But this is what I'm buying for fun now. This, you know, my plan is to, I love Bristol. My sister lives in, in Brooklyn, New York. And I love Barcelona because I used to live there. So I would like to have a base in Bristol, a base in Barcelona mm -hmm. and um, a house in Greenwich Village. A house, honey, house. Um, because that would just be fun. And then my code name for next year is Bali Villa, mm. only because I just fancy renting a villa in Bali for a very long period of time for a laugh. And every time I say that, I just think about, you know, that dive bombing, like curled up in a little ball as you go, wee, and jump in. A so for me, I actually call my properties very, very close, <laughs> between nine and 17 minutes. The majority is mm. nine minutes drive time of the office. Mm -hmm. and the outliers are 17 minutes drive time i have one in glasgow when my son went mm -hmm. to college but that was that's 15 minutes from my mum and dad and it was there for mm -hmm. him going to college and i just kept it afterwards mm -hmm. so my investment portfolio is very close very tidy because then people can jump from property mm -hmm. to property and manage the portfolio and it's efficient mm -hmm. these are fun bits these are toys mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, no, and no. I'm glad. See, that's the beauty of having conversations. And for any of my listeners, you know, and again, someone's told me this, hence why I'm repeating it, is you, you never know um, what, what will come out of a conversation. And through asking that question, uh, you've now just given, again, another gem, which is if you're building a portfolio, yes. try and keep, you know, them congregated next to each other. Because, again, economies of scales, you know, for managing costs, but then at the same time, there are other benefits, maybe moving one tenant to another, et cetera, et cetera. So again, another another great gem then. And you, you said something that was quite interesting, uh, which was about social media. Uh, and before <laughs> I ask that question, I will say with the Bali rental, I might, you might end up seeing me and other water. It is such a great place. <laughs> You're like, oh, Johnny, where have you been? I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking 
near such a great place. I was like, oh, I was thinking the same thing. But uh, social media, social media is actually where I've been able to meet uh, so many great people yeah. in a space like yourself. And I've actually been following you, I would say, uh, probably three or four months. Great, great content. And um, I've said this a number of times, and I may sound like a broken record, but I quite frankly don't care, is that in our space, or when I first got involved in property, social media was not utilised as much as it should be. It's free, and still it wasn't utilised. When, again, US, Australia were doing amazing things, but we were just like, no, we're British. We do not use social media. (laughs) We use the newspaper and the radio. Uh, And, you know, five years later, I am starting to see the the resurgent or more people using social media but not as much as they should be or they're not doing it properly so my question to you uh it was a prevention problem Um, and and i totally respect these guys but um in the uk there there are a number of independent Mm -hmm. property meets but an awful lot of meets are run by two education companies So, so in the early days i was asked to do talks and that was where we were building our database and then I'd follow up with all the people whose business cards I collected at a talk and then some of them would become investors, either sending me money personally or buying discounted Mm -hmm. deals from my deal packaging business when we ran it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, as these two larger education companies, and you've got to respect what they did, they 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 did the right thing for them, obviously one of the rules was you can't take any data from the room and kind Mm -hmm. of what's the point in that then? Mm -hmm. So... I was like, well, that just leaves me a small number of events to go to. And I love doing that too. But mm-hmm. I'm not prepared for somebody to prevent me getting to my marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I can't do the talking tour uh, and go that way because mm-hmm. you can, you'll can. you allow me to come and talk, but I'm not allowed to collect people's mm-hmm. business cards. I need to go around the houses. So going around the houses says, um, you guys are, you know, in a, in a sensible way for your own business, you're preventing mm-hmm. me from carrying out business that I need to carry out so I need to go around and um, that's why I started the YouTube channel in mm. to go around the preventative measures of the mm. larger players in the in the industry N- no disrespect to them at all um, and at the time my agenda was very clearly about um, deal packaging and finance so I think what people need to do is decide what what's their what do they want from their social media what is the goal of it and then work back and there's a very interesting uh, essay from years ago now called 1000 True Fans. The, the point being that everybody's on the long tail. You can all have niche businesses and your social media can service your niche business. Mm-hmm. And, and so decide what your objective is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for us then it was basically evidencing credibility um, and being being known so that people would then come up to our investor days and start the process mm-hmm. of considering working with us. So that's why we did it. These days, we, you know, we've had over a million views on the YouTube channel, and most of my, yeah, I've got, I've gone up market. I've got fancy, I've got fancier videos now, but most of my early videos are like on an iPhone and walking to work, you know, just wonky chit chat, um, including one when I just had my, my, uh, I had, I had an injection on my tooth, so I look very weird. But there you go, and, and one where I just, oh my god, I don't know why I did it. I just ran 10k around Central Park in New York and then decided to do a video with like the reddest face you ever seen in your life, like terrible. But you know when somebody's a fan of your YouTube vids if they've seen that one because that's years ago. But um, so so 
so now these days we again we know what our objective is on social media um i also really like sharing knowledge let's be frank i'm really you know property is life-changing so i'm really keen to share knowledge but what's your objective and then we work backwards and these days we plan about six months ahead so we've actually got all of our videos uh, and it's what i'm going to be doing later on this afternoon we've got all of our videos shot until christmas already and we're to each other in may um so i'm trying to work ahead now on on my plans mm. so that um they're planned they're scheduled they're written and and mm. and and then you and i think for someone in the early days if they're trying to do everything else you know finding deals finding investors running a business starting a business employing staff you know all of that the more they can plan and schedule their social media with their objective in mind the easier it is because then you're not going oh god i forgot to post for a week they're just like, oh yeah today we need to post this let's post and they can add on top, you know, I will, I'll do lots of chit chat in between times, but our skeleton of social media is planned like seven, eight months ahead. No, completely. I, I, I think that's amazing advice. Um, it, you literally <laughs> answered my second question. See, again, you're always, always one step ahead, which is, you know, what should one do to, to do well on social media? And you said it, which is uh, um, you know, schedule. Uh, especially, you know, ex you know, someone like myself who's more on the uh, the newer side of, of running a of running a business. That's that's one thing. To uh, try and get as much content as possible, uh, and and I think the third one, which is actually the first point you made, which was, you yeah. know, just do it. Which is, you know, you took your phone out, you know, however you looked to whatever you were doing, and you just documented it. And I think that's yeah. that's so important because. Uh, I'll say at least for myself and a lot of people I know in the industry yes. we're perfectionists and uh, we want everything to be perfect. We want like a Gary Vaynerchuk guy following us around with a great camera, <laughs> great sounds, but you know, you have to start somewhere. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that's a great, great point. But if you were to, 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 to give some advice social media, I suppose the Gary Vaynerchuk of repurpose. So it's a content that you can put. I definitely think people yeah. should have a YouTube channel. I really do. And they decide how frequently they want to schedule it. The reason is Facebook and Instagram, it mm -hmm. disappears quite quickly. YouTube is almost like a library of content. Mm -hmm. um, so, so if anybody was like, oh, Sue's, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking crap. You, you mm -hmm. know, what do you know? You can be like, how, go, about, go and have a look at those thousand videos and you'll be able to see my progression. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's quite clear I'm credible <laughs> and decent and reasonable and, you know, experienced. You know what I mean? That you, mm -hmm. That's just a bank of evidence. You know, it's, it's a body of evidence for people, which is quite, or, or not evidence, mm -hmm. sorry. It's a body that suggests evidence that, that, that shows credibility. So I think YouTube is almost like a library. Obviously, and then Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook is quite important. Oh, cool. um, and, you know, uh, um, I think every 60 days you want to do an in introduction to yourself, you know, because typically people typically want a problem solved within 60 days. So if, if they're looking for a deal sourcer, they'll have resolved that problem within 60 days by either finding somebody or giving up the, the ghost, you know. Um, so an introduction of what your services are every 60 days and obviously your website as well, sorry. And then, you know, you don't need to do like daily. You could just do one one a week, you, you know, if if a person hasn't yet sourced a deal, they could talk about the deal that got away because I don't yet have investors. You know, this, these are the figures. This is what it could have been. I couldn't get it because I didn't have investors yet. This is my estimate of the profit that could have happened. If you want to do a deal like that with me in the future, because I can clearly find deals, I just 
to help me fund them, mm-hmm. get in touch. You see, so straight away it's a call to action, knowing what it was that mm-hmm. the person's wanting to achieve from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely, definitely look at deals and credibility as very important, and then introductory, and then call to actions. And then the other thing I think is very important is creating a database. Yeah. So give the person a reason. So we've, from the very beginning, I've built a database. We've got a very large one now. So give someone a reason mm-hmm. to give you their contact details. So it's all the stuff you did in your tech role. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I'm still with you. Mm-hmm. She actually stopped talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, you, sorry, I thought you went. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, well, I'll edit this bit out, but no, what I was going to say to that was, uh, no, you, you completely, completely correct yeah. there. And I, I'm actually from today, right? And I'll, I'll, I will send this okay. to you. This bit. Great, I'll be one of your early um, subscribers. Will, uh, send, today, send me, send me the YouTube, YouTube channel. Absolutely. <laughs> what it does, it documents yeah, you from today. the beginning, and um, and you'll be surprised at how much credibility people need to research and go. Oh yeah, that guy's been doing deals for yeah. a while. Yeah, I understand it now. You know, a podcast is another library, isn't it? That's, you, you know, once you see that, okay, that guy's done a lot of episodes, right? He knows his stuff. It's quite, but do be prepared. Um, unfortunately, in the UK, there is a tiny culture of dafty keyboard warriors. So we, we learned that a while ago. It's a shame because they don't tend to be people that know you. They tend to be complete strangers. So I have, a, and I learned the hard way because at first the advice years ago the advice was ignore them and that's not actually good advice don't go don't go onto their website yeah. and chat because they could just make you look anything they want it, you know their website is their territory it's up to them and all you're doing is creating content for them um just mm-hmm. you know silly and exciting for them but we actually have a we have very very few trolls by the way very few indeed but we created a troll management process mm-hmm that's being a bit of a doble and being rude and um, a member of my team puts mm-hmm. it in the spreadsheet we find out the person's phone yeah. number and I phone them up mm-hmm. because what I've discovered is that it's all very well and, and we have very very few trolls but somebody yeah. can be a right little you know <clears throat> on keyboard but when you speak to them in person mm-hmm. um, now you've moved from being this cardboard mm-hmm. cutout who doesn't mm-hmm. bleed a normal human being who's happy to talk about things in case they're worried about something they think you've done or they, 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 they're questioning your credibility or whether you're telling the truth. Um, normally they won't answer, but it does tend to stop them a very polite voicemail because you're asking them to phone you back and you're saying very happy to talk it over because obviously, you know, until you've talked it through with me, you really, you know, you, you know. So, so I actually these days do that. It's called Troll Management Spreadsheet and... Um, and we manage the very tiny percent because you do get dafties who post smart ass comments and you're like i have no idea who you are <laughs> why are you commenting as if you know something you know but you know and i do wonder if that's particular to the uk i do think unfortunately our culture gives a bit more of this than say in america where they're, they're they don't have such a tall poppy syndrome where they cut down people's heads poke up above the, the boundaries but ugh. No, of course. I, I think that's 
<laughs> I think that's com- great advice. I'm, I'm definitely going to implement a, a troll management system as and when it presents okay. itself. Um, I, I, and mm. I completely agree with you. We do have, and I learned this actually from my first business venture that did not work out uh, well. Um, I was thrown into a high finance uh, position very yeah. early on in my age and a lot of opportunities and it you know, blew up um, in front, literally in front of everyone. I'm again, I'm happy to discuss about it because it's, you know, it's, it's out there in the open. And one thing that I saw from that, and I see it from you know, other successful people, at that time I was on the route to potentially be successful in that space, yeah. is that you know, when in, in Britain, you know, when we put our heads up, sometimes you know, people are there to, to knock you down, where in the US right. it's more of a go-getter uh, attitude and more supportive of that but you know I, I feel like things have changed it is it is highly unacceptable to tell lies about somebody culture um, but, um, no uh, matter who you are or you know it's highly unacceptable but yeah. so I don't want that culture to be accepted but nor do I want anyone listening to this when it does happen to them to allow those people to impact them um yeah. in, uh, so Brené Brown uh, she talks about um, that her favorite thing being Franklin Roosevelt, you know, um, critic. Uh, mm-hmm. um, that the only opinion she wants to hear is the man in the ring getting blood, and you know, mm-hmm. and and she talks about doing a one inch by one inch piece of paper and writing down on that piece of paper mm-hmm. those people whose opinions really matter because they're in the ring, they're getting down, they're making it happen. Mm-hmm. So, so I think those are really interesting mm-hmm. things to think about. If somebody is going to raise themselves through mm-hmm. social media, I hate when somebody gets hurt and I hope that they can take that Franklin Roosevelt poem that, that um, the, the, you know, the, about the critic and realize that it just needs to go in a box sideways, not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, and I completely agree. And that was a, it was a great Ted talk actually that she did. Oh, uh, for um, anyone, please go and, uh, and check that out it's actually one of the reasons that enabled me to set up this business so small world as when i when i watched that because again you know we're uh you know we're we're, we're in a, uh, a culture where criticism well you know everyone likes to you know put their two pence in hence why that saying comes from uh, <laughs> everyone's always got something to say so it's always good to know that you know if you do listen to any critics or anyone that has any you know good advice sometimes um is to see, you know, what is that person doing? Is that person in the in the ring with me? Are they in the field, as as as, as they say? Or well, the, the the way I adopted that um, information was because I used to play rugby before. I and they are, and, and say, they've got something important for you to say. They're probably going to pick not, up the phone, you know, and that's that's really uh, useful. <laughs> you know, uh, on bits that I screwed up on, listening to my peers tell me their views and and how they feel that I could develop has been incredible useful and very mm-hmm. kind of them to give the time mm-hmm. 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 completely agree and um and that's why i've learned the best um by listening to my peers or uh, as i say i would say my peers but realistically those who yeah. have done um, what i want to do and you know listen uh, attentively to what they were saying and slowly applying that so thanks to people like yourself to, uh, Sue and uh, you know yeah. a, a shift in, in, in question uh, from yourself to more about what you're doing now and um, the reason I ask that is you know as we said off here and you've you've said a few times in this conversation that you know we have we are, we're, we're still we're still in lockdown. Uh, so for those uh, who are in the US, because we do have US and a few Australian uh, listeners as well, um, you know, their markets are still closed. Yes. But we've uh, since two weeks ago have 
um, uh, the, the government have allowed us to open our, our, our markets effectively uh, to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's been, you know, a good eight weeks of uh, effectively being isolated, having to stay indoors. Uh, for myself, who's never really had to operate in the you know, in property in any form of market correction, um, apart from Brexit, but that wasn't really a market correction. That's just because we didn't know what we were doing. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it's just really interesting to see where the market's going and the impact it's had on our industry, on top of the fact that the, the impact it's had for the, the, the world um, from a health perspective. But you know, when situations like this present themselves, there are opportunities. So, um, you know, how have you been finding, uh, you know, business at the moment? I know you've operated in many market crashes and corrections. Yeah. Um, you know, how have you uh, seen you know, Bristol, for example? It's a buyer's market. Oh, it's coming you know, towards, at the moment, it's the still moment, feeling know? a bit frozen. Um, and, People are um, you know, reeling from, you know, the punch. They haven't yet not been knocked down. They're still, and, and there is obviously a ban on repossessions at the mm. moment or, or uh, freeze on repossessions which is quite useful for people trying to find their feet financially uh, but there's no doubt about it the mm. confidence has gone out the market i'm watching asia to see what's happening there mm. uh, five to 15 percent because they're ahead of us in terms of coronavirus they're five to 15 percent drop but then but, but what we in our property business want is we want to know the general market mm. techniques and then we want to know our specifics so one or two in every hundred properties being sold is a discounted deal. So we can look at the general and confidence, you know, the, the, the air has gone out of the market. Confidence has gone out of the market. So it's going, mm -hmm. a recession is coming. A very significant mm -hmm. people are furloughed or unemployed. As the government asks people to, uh, employers to pay percentage of, mm -hmm. of the furlough money, sadly you'll see another mm -hmm. large wave of unemployment coming. And that's going to impact on two things. Uh, there are going to be fewer people wanting to buy houses because of job insecurity. Therefore, rental uh, will be stronger. And then the second part is going to be is there are going to be people mm -hmm. who are going to sell and uh, will be very interested in selling fast rather than selling high. So for those people that want to be buying, starting in about three months' time when people find shake it off and go, oh, my goodness, right, I, I definitely want to sell, it's probably probably go, uh, if we correlate it to the last recession you've probably got three years of being a relatively strong market for buyers and mm. um, so a, an opportunity for people mm. um, coupled with a very low finance uh, interest rates to to mm. get together with investors and a significant number of properties in the next three years is, is one opportunity then the other mm. opportunity is the rate of first-time mm. buyers is likely to slow down because they've had such awful financial shock Mm -hmm. that there's a real opportunity for renting. So it's a strong market probably for buy to sell if you get your prices right. Mm -hmm. And it's a strong market, uh, sorry, for, for buy to keep if you get your uh, purchase price right. But you could still flip in a recessionary market. You just, you just reposition how you position the house. You know that you're going to take longer to get a sale. So you've got to get a cheaper price point in the first place. And the positioning of the seven Ps, the seven Ps in marketing, and the packaging mm -hmm. of your property is got a higher level. Mm -hmm. your, your properties need to look nicer than before. So no more IKEA furniture, but you've got to go top end, you know, heels and people like that to make your property seem higher value, mm -hmm. even though you're selling a white walls, beige carpet mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. Uh, 
that's that again that's that's yeah. amazing advice there it's uh, what what i like about you is you again you're very good at um it's, it's that pivot you know i'm sorry to keep repeating it but it's, it's that pivot where um, you know you're able to you know identify or the best way i say it is, is is you're like a yeah. captain of the ship if you were to uh, look in the, the days of pirates and you have your little yes. monocle and looking <laughs> looking at where's the land uh, where's the opportunity and able to to swing the sails uh, uh, best and I, and I think that's that's absolutely amazing and you're you're actually the first person to talk about the the first buy, uh, first time buyers market you know again I've spoken to quite a few people who've given their insights but no one's talking talked sorry about the first time buyer market and there was a um an article that came out uh, this week, actually, on a, a financial uh, publication called Market Watch, which is free. So anyone who wants to check it out, check yes. it out. Uh, and um, what they were saying is that, you know, even though that everyone's talking about the Boris bounce, the COVID bounce, et cetera, et cetera, uh, what will really keep the market flowing is if first time buyers have that like you said, that confidence, that certainty that, you know, their, yeah. their jobs will be safe and they're able to go out there and buy in, in this market. And we're just not get seeing that data. We're seeing investors come in uh, and into play, which is great, you know, as you said. And we'll talk more about the, the capital raising, the, the fund raising side of things and how do you work with investors in this market. Um, and we're seeing a lot of downsizing. So a lot of sales yeah. that need to, to, you know, again, everyone needs, everyone's position is different. So there are some people, people that will take the hit because they need to sell now and that's another opportunity but first time buyers that's so true. people around my age and slightly older maybe looking at the market and say oh god this is this i've never been here before i, I don't know if i want to buy um and, and that 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 does present an opportunity but also a potential uh, risk to, to, to the market but again you highlighted that very very well yeah. um so you you, you spoke about um that this it's moving towards a, a buyer market and I, I want to ask you this question because again from my end let's say from the agency perspective I, i'm seeing two types of people operating in the market i'm seeing what i like to call the vultures i've said this again in another podcast those who fly in the sky and look down and say oh that seems like a pretty good opportunity and uh, are looking for those 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 large wedges those massive discounts there's nothing wrong with that um and then there's the others that I've spoken to, which actually has presented an opportunity for myself to get actively involved in the market, which they've said, you know what, I've sat in so many different market conditions, uh, you know, just even recently Brexit, you know, 9-11, et cetera, and I'm done. I, you know, I'm consolidating what I have and I'm looking to dispose it. Um, so there's, I'm seeing both sides, you know, from, you know, your client base and the, the types I'm of seeing, investors. Well, so I'm, I'm seeing people getting excited about the opportunities. Um, That's what I'm hearing from, from people around me more than anything. Um, that we we continue to collect landlord data. So um, we will we have mm -hmm. thousands of phone numbers from landlords who've rented uh, their properties for over the last few years. So there will be some mm -hmm. landlords who just go, do you know what, I'm throwing the towel in, or oh, I'd actually like to cash mm -hmm. out now. Um, so, so somebody say in their 60s or 70s as a landlord who's like, I've had enough of owning property, I want it in cash form now. You know, they mm -hmm. they may have five years before the market uh, stabilizes. So they might just think, do you know what, I'm just gonna sell it now because I want the cash now. It's mm -hmm. worth, mm -hmm. you know, the, the cash value of it now is, is worth more than waiting for five years. But generally, I'm hearing mm -hmm. uh, ex uh, established and, and experienced investors 
all talking about going back into the market in two to three months time and then buying big over the next three years. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's quite interesting. Sorry to jump in there because um, I, again, I'm just speaking from an agent's perspective. So, uh, an agent London perspective. So again, I love to see, because again, you, you work with agents as well and other property professionals alike. So I love to see how um, the economics are working in your end is that loads of agents at the moment are saying, oh, this is a great time of doing so much business. Mm. And, and to be honest with you as well, myself, I've yeah. seen more inquiries now than I did see when we were getting a little bit of confidence that we were coming out of the whole Brexit situation, which is interesting. And everyone says, you know, it's going to drop for a little bit. It's going to be pretty tough and then we'll go back up again. Um, but what, what I'm also interested, and you bring brought it up, is that, okay, the if there is interest, this is the first phase. When are the real, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the real uh, seasoned individuals? Because seasoned they're, buyers, they're not waiting for stabilization in terms of permission months. to enter the marketplace because these are seasoned investors who can, who can analyze the marketplace for themselves and make decisions for themselves. There, if we go back to boxing, uh, COVID has mm -hmm. just dealt a knockout punch to people's circumstances, mm -hmm. some people. And mm -hmm. um, so they will be going into the market or starting to go into the market now. Mm -hmm. But in three months' time, that's when somebody's just going, I want to sell fast. Because there's, um, people want either mm -hmm. um, speed price or, or reliability in a buyer. And normally they want two out of the three. So they want to sell to a reliable buyer who's fast. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be somebody, you know, a vulture going in, if you want to call them a vulture, mm -hmm. if someone's getting discounted deals. Or they want to sell to a reliable buyer high, or they want to sell high uh, and fast. You can't normally get all three. Of course. And so the kind of shock of the virus, people are probably still just going, right, what's, what do we do? Mm -hmm. We're still in, you know. And in three months' time, their situations will become very clear to them that maybe they don't feel they can afford the house anymore or, unfortunately, they, you know, circumstances change. Um, mm -hmm. So I think what they're doing at the moment, the seasoned investors I'm speaking to, is they're building their pots, they're building in their investor consortiums, mm -hmm. Decisions in principle ready, the agreements in principle, the terms, heads of terms ready, and then they intend to mm -hmm. go all in. So that's that's very interesting to hear from the the from the investor side, the seasoned investor side, because you know, again, the information that's gone out is that you know it's gonna remain, you know, this is the time to buy, you know, there's loads of inquiries, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But again, the seasoned guys and girls are taking a back foot and let's say looking at building their investors you know getting systems in place yeah. uh, and i think for the the newbies or even people like myself who are who've never operated in in a market like this before can really take heed and and, and follow those steps because like i was saying a bit off air and and in the previous conversation is that um just to use um a warren buffett example and i might be misquoting this and that's fine and that's okay is that you know when you know the herd effectively is sort of flowing to a certain trend in the market that's when you should do the opposite and when they're moving away from the market that's when you should look to get involved so if there's a lot of chatter now 
maybe it's a time to build the social media you know as you said use yeah. those strategies or uh, build your contacts or again what I've been doing in this period of time is go seek those who have done what you want to do and you know just learn from them and hopefully um, you know try and provide value back as well because it's all about being reciprocal so um, from a from a, let's say from a finance perspective um, you know you actually made this this great point in the podcast which is that uh, with very low interest rates that does really provide an opportunity for uh, investors or individuals uh, with savings uh, to look at some alternatives because interest rates are next to nothing you know you aren't getting any money in the bank and the bank are <laughs> effectively loaning that money out as well uh, and i've heard some chats and some murmurs and there's some information to support this as well that interest rates might uh, go, get to a stage where they are at negative interest rates so we are paying we are effectively paying the bank to hold our money don't know how that's going to go uh being here in britain but you know other countries have have followed suit there so again that provides an opportunity for all those who know what they're doing to speak to investors and hopefully uh, raise some money and help them give a good return. Yeah. But that's a different skill set, <laughs> which I want to uh, talk about. And we off air, we spoke about this about, you know, if, if that's a potential option in, in, in my journey. Um, but one thing that I know is, you know, finding deals, selling those deals, repackaging them and giving it to an investor or even finding a property for a, for a buyer and then, you know, holding their hand in that process. And then after that, you know, leaving them alone to do what, what it is with their property. That's very different to sitting down with investors, raising the money uh, and then managing that, that investment for the process that you're holding it for. That's a, you know, a different set of skills. So um, again, if you could talk more about the different set of skills and why uh, now or in the next two to three months is a good opportunity to really start raising money uh, yeah. to, for some of the deals. Well, I think, I think what I'd like for everybody ultimately is to end up with a property portfolio of their own because mm -hmm. that's financial freedom. That's when you don't need to work um, uh, uh, and then you can make some really enjoyable choices in your life mm -hmm. so I, I ultimately would guide people if they can find discounted deals to get to the point that if they don't yet have the money to buy those deals they work with private investors to do so mm -hmm. subject to them being able to find deals that allow them to pay their investment back mm -hmm. so so really although they are different in terms of you still need to have a builder's team and you need to be able to know how to refurb a property which is mm -hmm. another skill get to be able to get under your belt the mm -hmm. primary thing is making sure the project is discounted enough to be able to absorb the profit that the investor is going to want as well as the uh, profit that you're going to want. Um, mm -hmm. And so for that, it's about still having the, the, the deal sk sourcing skills. We mm -hmm. used to about 45 pieces of research in every property, so 20 mm -hmm. sold, 20 on the market, and five estate opinions. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, if somebody does two or three comparables, Mm -hmm. You've got such a high chance of getting it wrong, but if you do forty-five, I mean, you still might get it wrong at forty-five. Mm -hmm. But if you do forty-five comparables, mm -hmm. you're statistically much less likely to get it wrong. And mm -hmm. if you're dealing with other people's money, which we're talking about here, like mm -hmm. the last thing in the world you can afford to do is get it wrong because you've got to pay this person back. You know, it's mm -hmm. your it's your um, legal responsibility as well as just you as a human being, you've got to pay them back. Um, so I do think that the, it goes back to that skill of being able to find discounted deals mm -hmm. and, and get them deep enough that even if it goes wrong in some way, there's still enough, 
you know, skin in the game. There's enough juice in it to be able to get them their money out and pay them back. But but I used to always run a second strategy alongside when I was working with investors when I was raising yeah. money to buy my own deals. Mm-hmm. which was a cash generating strategy just in case I couldn't always refinance and pay back out. And mm-hmm. me typically 50% of my property portfolio, I was able to fully refinance and pay back out. And the mm-hmm. other 50%, I had to leave a little bit of cash left in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was ran a flipping strategy alongside and a deal packaging strategy alongside just to kind of have some cash generating business mm-hmm. alongside to be able to kind of back up my investors, if you see what mm-hmm. Yes. So I think it's plan A, plan B, plan C, because mm-hmm. you have got to return that money at the point mm-hmm. legally agreed to return it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. I think that's a, I think that's a good way of, uh, you know, position yourself in that space, and I, and it's a good way of really um, putting yourself in a, in a place where you're, you know, protecting the investor, which is extremely yeah. important, but also protecting yourself as well, and and. and you know if you were in this for the long long run which many people uh, that i know listen to this are you know you know listening to that advice uh, is very very important yeah. and another question in regards to, to valuation because you know you said you sometimes you know will get 45 uh, different opinions which is a good strategy i'm actually going to implement that myself <laughs> in what i do uh, later on down the line but um is the valuation element so from an i've asked agents you know uh, on their viewpoints on the valuing property uh, in this current market condition again it's for a bit difficult because even though us as agents are a, a and allow to open up there are different parts of the the industry you know such as surveys etc etc that are are not in the position to go and do what they used to do, which sure. is help with, yeah, to help with the valuation side of things. Um, do you think it's, what do you think are the complications going to be for, you know, investors to be able to, uh, to, to value property the, the correct way? So then, you know, they can get those, those, those discounts with the true market value yeah. of property uh, rather than what the agents put there. I think they're going to have to, well, the 45 pieces of research, look at 20 sales, mm-hmm. 20 in the market, five estate agent opinions, but also mm-hmm. what your, your area did in the 2000, mm-hmm. 2009 recession. So did mm-hmm. it drop enormously because it hasn't got a strong mm-hmm. economy backing it? Did it freeze, mm-hmm. which is more or less what happened in Bristol or what mm-hmm. happened? Now, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. to say this is definitely going to happen again, but it, the likelihood is that whatever your area did in the last recession, it may well have similar behavior because of economic circumstances in this recession. Um, mm-hmm. So so, so look at that and kind of look at your little microclimate in your, or, or and mm-hmm. speak to estate agents, you know, speak to the heads of departments, speak to the heads of branches, mm-hmm. speak to the owners of independent agencies because they'll have been in the game mm-hmm. long enough. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had... So I've sold land in coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So we've only been locked down, what, eight weeks or nine weeks or something? I've sold land. Yeah. I've got bridging finance approved for um, a renovation I'm doing. And I've got two mortgages uh, approved on desktop valuations with them talking to me and me telling them about the house. So that's four financial mm-hmm. transactions in the last eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, but um, I'm quite low loan to value. So I'm not, I'm not going to be in the, 
which is why I'm a real advocate of people paying down houses because it's only when the tide goes out, you see who's wearing underpants, you know, and I don't, you know, every day, 10 years or so, the tide goes out, you know, there's a recession, there's something comes along. And I've seen enough good people go bust to know that I never want to be swept out. So I've spent quite a lot of time paying down debt as well as acquiring properties. So, um, Mm-hmm. So I've not, put, I mean, when I say I've not had a particular problem with funding these last eight weeks, of course I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. one one property, the funding was withdrawn four or five times from different, you know, and I'm still waiting for refunds on the surveys and blah, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. you know, you just persevere, don't you? I've had mm-hmm. two formal mortgage offers. I'm literally about to draw down. It's just uh, it, coming to the end of five-year fix. I'm drawing down the funding now. Sold, sold. And, and got a bridge through so it's about having good financial advisors and just persevering mm. and putting in more into the application than normal of course which is, again amazing advice there and you know that, that then leads to my next question you know with uh, you know, what, what okay the best way of me explaining or explaining this question is this is that you know as we said with social media and as i've now seen with technology is that the our industry again very very slow to, yeah. to the uh, to the to front line yeah. uh, when it comes to implementing uh, things that will benefit us yeah. for change you know um, and um, one of the things is uh, let's say agents have now put in virtual valuations yes. uh, no put in that done that as well sorry and here the agents we were doing virtual viewings um, but that again changes the entire landscape of how we do business. Yeah. Um, you you know what changes do you uh you know do you see happening and how business is conducted you know from a, uh, an investor standpoint uh, moving forward in this new normal? well i think on the one hand there's still for raising finance it's still business and as normal as in it needs to be a person-to-person relationship you can't get past that mm-hmm. you have to nine touch points but the method to find their contact details in the first place is different is social media now um they're doing Zoom. In, in fact, some of my mentees are doing Zoom investor meetings as opposed to physical ones. But you still need to know somebody five to nine times of meeting before you really can judge whether you want to work with them and they can judge whether they want to work with you. On the other hand, automation. If you were to, if you if you were at my house, um, I have my business plan normally inside my wardrobe. Although at the moment, it's also in my dining room because we've had to pivot. Um, and on the right-hand door, when I open up in the morning to put to to, to find clothes to wear, it has a massive sign that says automation. So we are looking at every single thing we can potentially automate to automate, mm-hmm. and what that does that drives cost out of a business, and it Im- improves efficiency, and it makes sure jobs get done. Um, so, mm-hmm. so a, a friend of mine. We've been teaching a tech weekend on on our program for about three or four years now, which is quite ironic because I'm not the most tech friendly person. Um, you had mm-hmm. great joy with me putting in my microphone, didn't you? Like, oh. yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but um, a, a good friend of mine, Matt Elder, who's uh, writes uh, on tech for Property Investor News, came to our tech weekend mm-hmm. and ba- and did a great presentation and said, "What Susanna spends seventy grand on wages on, I spent fourteen hundred pounds mm-hmm. a year on automation." Mm-hmm. Now that's mm-hmm. telling, and that was about three, four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there are so many opportunities for tech to take some away the low, lower repeating task level jobs. I'm mean, talking, mm-hmm. you, you know, a friend of mine runs a, 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 a mortgage company, 
and a third of their inquiries come in after 11 o'clock at night. How does he know that? Because he's got a chat bot. And just by introducing, so he, he is able to bring a third more leads because he's using automation and technology in his mortgage company. Yeah. And he knows a third of people do everything else before they go, oh, I suppose I'll look for a mortgage at 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to employ mortgage advisors at 11 o'clock at night, but you can bring in an automated tech bot, a chat bot. Mm -hmm. So tech, automation, CRM systems, automatic email systems. But I do think... It often has to end up, you know, when you're sourcing for leads, you can use all that. But it's got to end up in a human to human. But the yeah. process by which you get there can be automated enormously. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. I'm, I'm so glad that you spoke about the, uh, the, the the tech element and the CRM and automation. It's, you know, what as I was saying before, um, even though when I went through, you know, should, the, the traditional agency route I had the the benefit of working uh, for a division that was very uh, tech yeah. heavy uh, countrywide urban spaces and where I carry that uh, into my, my business now is definitely the I think you're well again I'm speaking from my opinion is you know automating the CRM will save so oh, much yeah. time so just again I'm just speaking about myself here is you know when I first started out I was using excel spreadsheets I was just sending emails from my gmail yeah. account etc etc as you do you know when you're first trying to to get started and it, it I literally would get home after doing a bunch of viewings by like nine o'clock sometimes ten and I was fried because yeah. it you know, I would have to send emails again, and you were you were effectively repeating the same Thank email you. a thousand right. times to a thousand That's people. Right. Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, and then I thought this isn't working. So then I sat down, and you know, for and this is some advice for for, for those who are listening, and even those who are traditional agents or seasoned professionals, is you know, you find a CRM yep. that works. There's there's a an array of them. Um, I've been telling everyone about fresh sales. That's what I use myself. Uh, but there's an array that you can use, and then you can get that to speak to different applications. Okay. And effectively, as long as you understand your customer journey, um, then you're able to to, to uh, automate the process. And there's a an amazing um, uh, application called Zapier, or I call it Zap. So a lot of guys in tech call it Zap, and that gets everything to you know you can to yeah. speak to each other. So all you do is once the lead comes through, it just goes through an, uh, an automated process. And then at certain touch points uh, where you have to, you know, speak to them, Zoom call them, you know, send out emails. And even the emails can be automated as well. It's just a seamless process, whether it's a, you know, one person band or it's a, a you know, a, a full organization. It's extremely important. I'm so glad that you uh, you brought that out because no one's talked about the, the automation side. And I think that's probably oh, so going to be one of the oh biggest game God. changers it's going to be a huge so. game changer you know look at me four years ago spending yeah. 70 grand on salaries whereas my my peer mm -hmm. matt was spending 1400 you know five percent mm -hmm. isn't it something like that and yeah. well mm -hmm. i should do the maths i hate creating maths without ever having done it <laughs> let me just do that math <laughs> now just to make sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, no um, <laughs> Two percent, two percent, not five percent. Is that? Um, yeah, Zapier, uh, Trello, um, Arthur Online mm. for the letting side now. Um, we have Fusions after mm. that happens. Webinar Jam, um, Ever Webinar. Mm -hmm. You know, we use Drive for everything and Dropbox storage. Mm -hmm. um, and and we produce about one hundred and fifty property tech applications, you know, Nimbus Maps, things like that. There. Are, um, and then the other mm -hmm. revolution has been VAs. Um, 
crossing to mm -hmm. federal countries, uh, which are, which are mm -hmm. emerging developing countries where you're using fewer arbitrage, mm -hmm. but you're also outsourcing mm -hmm. repeatable jobs to people. So there's an interesting mm -hmm. business to be built that doesn't need to have a high mm -hmm. cost of employees within the business. You could mm -hmm. tech and outsourcing mm -hmm. uh, for, for a great majority of it. And, and that's really about efficiencies. A very mm. interesting part of property, I think, coming forward. And then you've got property tech, uh, you know, uh, property tech coming through. Uh, some interesting mm. exhibitions when we get out of lockdown that will mm. be fascinating to go and see. 100%, I completely agree. You know, uh, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see that tech element and also to see yes. who adopts it. Because um, th for those who uh, adopt it yeah. early, um, will do very well because you know as we said throughout the industry is very late yeah. to the party in many sense in, in, in so many different uh, ways and those who you know use some of the the, the, the strategies that I've discussed there at least on the tech side will really really put themselves in a good situation um, moving forward so I'm so so glad that, that, that you, so, you picked that so up. Thomas um, is a really good guy <laughs> to talk to about property tech. Um, mm. yeah. Of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm most definitely going to try and get him oh, yeah. as a guest on the on, on the podcast. There, so thank you for the, for the record there. And um, in you know, you know, again, we've discussed so many things today, from you know the you know your story itself uh, to to you know the progression, certain investment strategies, um, you know what to do, you know uh, diversity within our space, and also you know how you're positioning yourself uh, to to to. To, yes. to do well, <laughs> Villa. Do well name Carly yeah. Villa. remember to be farming into that exactly. swimming pool exactly <laughs> just before you land in the pool that's that's all I can think yeah. about just code you know and basically codename Bali Villa is basically tech. it is mm -hmm. if it can't be done from a really crappy internet connection in Bali don't do it which means everything yeah. needs to be automated as much as possible doesn't it mm -hmm. Of course, no, it definitely does. I'm, uh, <laughs> that's on my uh, my list of things to do <laughs> the next six to twelve months. Yeah, <laughs> Code Bali Villa. So it's 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 really it's a very very yeah. exciting time. Um, but that being said, it's, it's, it's which you know when some are excited, some are fearful. Um, and uh, as we as we've discussed, things are changing on on the tech side and how we will yeah. conduct business. Um. So, you know, for, you know, buyers, vendors, investors, renters alike, you know, and we're all trying to, to mm. find our new normal, we'll find our feet in this new normal. Um, what are your, you know, final thoughts on the impact that we're having or the impact COVID has had? Um, you know, opportunities that you're excited about, challenges that will be put forward and just your final thoughts. First really. off, do it, go for it, do it, go for it, do it, you know, um, there's always, 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 always a reason not to, and always that reason feels valid. Hindsight, once you've got mm -hmm. over the challenge, you'll be so glad you did it. Um, mm -hmm. Secondly, old school business. Um, um, so mm -hmm. you need to be, you need to know your profit and loss. You need to predict your cash flow in the early days if cash flow is tough, which it will be for anybody in the early mm -hmm. days. It just, it will be. We, you know, we, we all have stories of, I mean, mine was I had 38 pence in the bank account and had payroll coming up the following week. I mean, I've never paid my, my team late, but, you know, I had to breathe a little bit that week. So um, old school business mm -hmm. practices are important. You know, set aside your tax, set aside your VAT mm -hmm. if you have to pay it, set aside 
your payroll, you know, set, set aside um, uh, working capital just for a safety net. And then the pandemic has taught people that as well. Mm -hmm. um, sure, properties, mm -hmm. I, I mean, for me, I, my cultural norm is no voids. Um, I mean, every now and again, you'll get a couple mm -hmm. of days, but on a large portfolio, one room with a couple mm -hmm. of days, I can just about hang that. So, mm -hmm. so do mm -hmm. just, just mind, mind your business. Um, it, when somebody gives notice, mm -hmm. That you've got usually thirty days, haven't you? You've got a month, so start, just mm. get that rented before the other person moves out. You know, it's that kind of old school. Don't mm. let any gaps filter in. Don't let any cracks that then the ice can, mm. can just make it creak and open up. So mind mind your mm. old business old school. In um, all your mm. rooms are rented, all your houses are rented, all your flats are rented. And um, stock is turning fast, and mm. cash is coming in, and that cash is being managed in a way that's sensible and then look at the opportunities you know swap strengths weakness opportunities threats and pestle what's happening in the marketplace is clearly a buying opportunity coming so pull together investors mm -hmm. and then finally try and mm -hmm. not be me from four years ago try and be my friend matt spending mm -hmm. percent of the same budget mm -hmm. i spent because he was using tech and i wasn't so so as you say get ahead of the tech um get as efficient as possible and the beauty because mm -hmm. i'm not particularly tech savvy the beauty I found is mm -hmm. you can um, employ specialists who are technically competent and mm -hmm. still able to talk to humans <laughs> and say, this is what I want mm -hmm. to happen. Can you do the technical bit? Because I don't know code. Mm -hmm. And the cost is still a lot less mm -hmm. than it, it, it might have been otherwise. Um, and, and, but that only comes by observing what your repeatable activities are and then um, batching them up. Mm -hmm making an operation manual and then looking at how tech can solve 90% of your repeatable deliveries. You know, so, so a really simple thing is zero, which is an accountancy, cloud-based accountancy system. So I have different bank accounts for different businesses yeah. and uh, the money comes in, the money goes out, but all the money that goes out mm -hmm. is already matched with the payment because it goes out every month, you know, mortgages and, and, and things like that um mm -hmm. so all my in, in the past my bookkeeper would have had to put an entry in in a in a journal these days she simply has to click a button on zero mm -hmm. saying yeah i confirm that that is you know high street's mortgage um, now the difference in yeah. in speed and efficiency is enormous so we are in a golden age it, it, but just don't let fear get the best of you and like that it's probably the people around you as you're starting out who care for you who want to hold back because you will be taking mm -hmm. risks which is why i refer you back to old school business sure you've done a cash flow mm -hmm. plan you know where your problems are going to lie and you know how to solve your problems in advance you know cash flow particularly and then mm -hmm. go for it you know th th mm -hmm. this these next three years are going to be a tremendous buying opportunity so make sure you're one of those people that doesn't look back with regret in 10 years time of course, of course. And what is the one thing that you're extremely excited about moving forward? Oh, I, you know, it's old school, just achieving my next round of goal. Mm. Like I know. And mm -hmm. so I'm renovating a grade two star list of chapel. That's quite good fun. Um, I've got two people in there from mm -hmm. 14th century who've died, two graves, whose graves were still in there. So yeah, some of the old school mm -hmm. renovations. I'm, reno I'm renovating the, the, the most city central chapel into a house in Bristol. Bought it for 130, I think, or 130, 135. It'll be worth about 750, and it'll be about 100 grand renovations. Mm -hmm. That's quite fun. I'm 
turning a bunch of houses into flats. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing loft extensions and then flat conversions. Mm -hmm. I've just sold some land. Um, mm -hmm. I'm paying more of my houses off mm -hmm. cash because I'm paying houses off. Mm -hmm. I'm buying the 1920s mm -hmm. beach apartment in Barcelona at the moment. And then I'm moving my online education mm -hmm. to a high quality platform that is going to be really exciting and really high quality. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the final one, I guess, is just mulling over the option of putting together mm -hmm. some investor consortiums to buy blocks of 20 and 30 flats. That's that's all right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's a positive way to end the podcast Susanna thank you so much for your time today and such an insightful conversation I hope you enjoyed our time with us today and I'm sure we'll be speaking with you again in the future now that's it for this episode of Bayon Talks podcast if you're not already a subscriber please subscribe via your usual podcast provider and share with a friend in the meantime thank you for listening to this episode and we will see you again next time